This episode of the Cinemavention podcast is brought to you by viewers like you over at patreon.com slash wscott is one. Hi, I'm wscott is one, and I have not seen the movie Die Hard. Uh oh, we found another movie Willie hasn't seen. This calls for an intervention. A Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Die Hard, with which my guest has seen in the past beforehand. He is the host of the Ritual Misery podcast and the, is the producer of so many other podcasts. Uh, I am so happy to welcome for my very first guest to the Cinemavention podcast. Anthony Lemus, a.k.a. Amos. Good to have you, man. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm in an extraordinary mood. It's a fine insert day this is released here. And uh, I just got done watching the movie for probably the 20th time in my life. I love this movie and I can't wait to talk about it. All right. Yeah, no, and this will be uh, this will be coming out on Christmas Day, actually, which which I thought was fitting because of um, because of the movie because yeah this is my favorite christmas movie yes that's true yeah and but some people would debate whether that's a christmas movie or not we'll we'll get into that a little bit but uh <laughs> but uh but i just wanted to go over uh, a few um few things about the movie uh before we get into our uh thoughts on it of course uh die hard um was released um by 20th century fox on july 15th 1988 this movie is about 32 years old, right? Am I getting that right? That sounds about right. That, I, mean, the yeah. math, I think the math works out. Public math, right? Uh, it's around 32 years old. 32 and a half? Sure. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. And uh, the movie uh, was directed by uh, John McTinman. McTiman? I'm assuming that's how you say it. Uh of course, stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Alexander. I'm not even going to try to say that last name. Uh, and uh, Bonnie Bedelia and Reginald Bell Johnson. Uh, movie had a budget of 25 to 35 million dollars, made 83 million dollars in theaters, which is eh, these days. But back then, I'm sure it was a lot of mo- money uh, back then. Um, Amos, when was the first time you saw this movie? So it came out in July. That means it probably hit HBO right around the Christmas season, which is probably when I saw it the first time. So I'm going to guess uh, Christmas season of 1988. Okay, yeah. And you said uh, you said at the top you've been uh, watching this thing. This is about the 20th time you've seen it. So Yeah. Yeah. You- my... my- not only is my wife a huge Bruce Willis fan, but my stepdad, who was uh, around during my formative years of movie watching, was a huge action movie fan. And he and I watched this movie fairly regularly throughout my childhood. And uh, since, I don't know, probably the last five or seven years or so, I've watched it as my Christmas movie every Christmas. It is yeah. clearly my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who are wondering um, why this movie in particular we're starting off with, uh, it's just because that um, throughout the years, uh, 
well, throughout the months anyway, leading up to this podcast, um, feels like years, but, <laughs> but, um, but this, uh, this movie, uh, is always kind of a special place because, um, this was kind of when the conversation started. Um, and because everyone was like, that was kind of like the first movie that like, everyone was like, well, you got to have seen Die Hard, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and you do that awkward uh, dance where you just like, I don't I haven't seen this movie. Don't hate me. So, <laughs> so a, a little backstory on this podcast project uh, from outside of, of Willie here. In Diamond Club, we're constantly amazed at the movies that Willie hasn't seen. It's mm-hmm. kind of kind of ridiculous. So we yeah. got together and we started listing the movies we wanted to watch with them. And then someone came up with the idea of making a podcast about it and forming it into kind of a, a intervention of sorts, thus mm-hmm. the name. Mm-hmm. And we would watch with him and go through all these amazing movies that he just, for whatever reason, has not had the chance to see. And Die Hard being a Christmas movie, and I will, I will die on my sword to that, is, <laughs> it just seems very fitting for this time of year. And it seems great to be the first recording because it's a great stepping off point for just classic movies in general. And it, it, it's, a, it's a great movie, as Willie puts in the show notes. It doesn't necessarily hold up culturally yeah it's it's like the the it's it's just a great epitomization of uh 80s action movies Mm -hmm. and i yeah it's just so fun absolutely yeah you got that right um and i should mention too um if you want to uh watch this movie yourself there's a few different ways to do it you can rent it or buy it on various uh internet stores uh pick your favorite uh, but it's also available uh, streaming on HBO Max. Uh, so if you uh, have an HBO Max subscription, uh, you have access to this movie. Um, and uh, and yeah, I got to say overall, uh, to start it out, I mean, I got to say, yeah, pretty good movie. Um, there's a little thing. There's a few things in there that are kind of like, eh, but overall, right. very, very, very good movie. Um, I think a very great mo- uh, movie to start things out with. Um, and, uh, and yeah, no, that, like, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, this movie, um, did not age well at all. Um, <laughs> and there's very, very, there's a lot of, uh, moments where that's very clear. Um, including in the first few minutes of the movie, uh, where John McClane, the main character, uh, is smoking in the airport terminal, in the airport terminal, like, yeah. No, he doesn't. He's not smoking a cigarette and then walking into the. He is in the terminal, and the first thing he does is light up a cigarette before yeah. he checks in or anything else. Yeah, yeah. And you and you and you never see him go through security or anything else like that. It's just very quick. He lights a cigarette and goes walking through the airport to the airplane, and it's yeah, yeah. very late eighties. Yeah, no, because that was very much a thing. Um, I still remember. Um. I still remember when we would go to restaurants and they would ask smoking or non-smoking booth. I still remember those days and, uh, and yeah, very much, uh, very much a sign of the times uh, by seeing that in that movie. Um, And and you notice every macho dude in this movie smokes. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like Bruce Willis was smoking. Like um, I'm pretty sure. um, Alan Rickman smoked in it. Mm -hmm. Basically 
all the macho men in this movie smoked. And yeah. it's just, it's, that was the 80s, man. That's how yeah. that was. Those were the days, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, um, there's also, uh, I, I, I just enjoyed um, during the Christmas party, um, <laughs> and I, uh, someone caught this while we were um, in the watch party uh, for this movie, um, which I'll talk more about at the end of the show. Um, but uh, during the Christmas party, um, I can't remember which character it was, but uh, it was a male and a female co-worker in this scene. And, you know, there's just a casual mention of what a male co-worker is doing afterwards um, and uh, yeah. enjoying himself, perhaps. <laughs> so I was like, and so we were in the watch party. It's like, so, yeah, casual sexual harassment in the workplace. <laughs> Again, very 80s. Very much. This This is not... If you had an, a movie made today that was referential to the 80s, that was, that was a, a time warp back to the 80s, you would have these same things going on in that new movie because this is what the 80s were. This is the attitude of the 80s, especially in, in the U.S., especially in California. I was growing up there at the time, and I can tell you this is dead on how the attitude was in LA from my experience as an 11 year old when this movie came out. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, of course, you know, that's very much, uh, frowned down upon these days, but you know, once again, you know, that was not yeah. only, that was not only like, um, that was not only like a thing that would happen in the movies. Like that was just real life, you know? Right. Right. And today that give you, get you a Twitter hashtag. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, of course, gotta mention uh, the uh, the scene where uh, there's a guy at the desk, and you can definitely tell uh, that he was not done answering the phone as he claimed he was, but uh, very much snorting a line of cocaine, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Ellis. Uh, he 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 does coke a few times in this in this movie, and again, executive culture in the in the late eighties. That's that's where it was. That's because those are the only people that could afford it, really. But that's what it was like. And he's just he, he's kind of the epitome of everything wrong in the 80s. He's got the bad style, the bad attitude, the I don't say bad attitude. He's got a great attitude. It just wasn't very conducive to anyone else. Um, he's doing the coke. He's dressed all nice. He's got the big wavy smile and he thinks he's just completely the hottest thing on the planet. Yeah, look at yeah. me. I'm so smug. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, he, he pays for it in the end. So, well, not even in the end, in the middle, he pays for it. So there's that. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I got to mention the shout out because uh, uh, Sergeant Powell is a very, um, especially towards like the middle to the end of the movie is very much an essential character um, in this movie. Yeah. And um, And when he leaves the gas station, First of all, I love the fact that uh, what was it that he bought in the gas station and the cashier was like, so, so what? No donuts? <laughs> right. I thought you guys only eat donuts. They're from my wife. Uh-huh. She's pregnant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. They're from my wife and she's pregnant. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he was getting like, it looked like a Twinkie derivative. It looked like a two pack of Twinkies, but not 
Twinkies. I, I don't know. It was, it was some hostess cake thing. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the show notes. The gas was 70 cents a gallon at the time. I didn't realize that. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's cheaper than I ever remember seeing it. Personally, the cheapest I ever remember seeing it was in 90, 96, 97, 97. Uh, it was 79 cents a gallon in South Carolina. So I can only imagine at that time it was way more expensive in California. Oh, yeah, no. And so. and and mind you, yeah, like, like you said, mind you, 70 cents in California. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like these days, like try to find um, 70 cents gas anywhere. It's like you're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah, no, no yeah. especially not in California. Yeah, no, yeah, God knows what the gas prices are these days. I mean, I'm sure someone, if you, if you, if you can tell us what gas prices are in California these days, uh, send an email, email at cinemavention.com. Uh, let me know because I'm actually curious. Yeah, and, and accept our condolences. Yes, that too. <laughs> and, uh, Gotta love those TV dinners in the 80s. Very, very popular. And there's a line, uh, where John says, well, now I know what a TV dinner looks or feels like. He's he's going through a ventilation duct. And I, I don't know how spoiler you, you want to get. I'm assuming oh, we're going in this movie. We're, yeah, we're if, going if all in on yeah. this. Uh, we're going all in on spoilers. He, he's crawling through a ventilation duct. And he says, now I know how a TV dinner feels. And I remember this time frame. TV dinners were all the rage. Now I know they were back in like the sixties, right after microwaves came out, and then they in the seventies, like nobody ate them because they were trash, and everybody finally realized it. Then in the eighties, they added flavor, <laughs> and then right. they went through trash back again back in the nineties. You know, and it's like they keep going through. And this was during one of those cycles where everybody, I we used to like mom. My mom would bring home TV dinners, and we would eat them in the kitchen. We were like, oh yeah. We're eating some tea. We would put them in the oven. They they were like had a metal tray to them, so you could just put them in the oven, and we'd cook them there. It was crazy. And him throwing that line out there, I didn't even notice it because I kind of grew up then. But you mm-hmm. put it in the show notes, and I was like, yeah, that does that is a little 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 off. Okay, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's like I've had like I don't know if they've necessarily been called TV dinners when I had them, but like I mean, I've definitely had a few of those. I mean. Hot Pockets is probably a one one of the most. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you can consider it a TV dinner, but that was kind of like the thing was. It's like it was all ready to go. You just had to put it in the microwave. Yeah. yeah now, now, now they're microwave meals. Yeah, true. Like TV dinner because you can eat them anytime, so it's a microwave meal. Mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. certainly can't put them in the oven anymore because the plastic will just melt. Not that I've done that personally. Not that I haven't. <laughs> yeah you're not going to confirm or deny that <laughs> no but uh um, yeah. yeah it's it, it, it these are all things that are just a sign of just how old this movie is but even as you I mean you can nitpick it for its age the hairstyles the clothing styles the mm-hmm. cars are driving all that other stuff but what it comes down to is it and because it isn't a period piece it is just from a period yeah, everything is uniform. You don't have some people with the big flashy hair and some people don't like everybody in this movie has 80s hair and it's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's it's almost as if you put uh, it, it, this is almost like a time capsule almost in kind of yeah. kind of a weird way, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this next one is a little yikes, especially given the circumstances and especially 
given the times that we're living in right now. Um, but uh, when John is uh, talking to Sergeant Powell over the radio, um, one of their many interactions um, while he's getting shot up to all hell um, <laughs> over the radio, um, uh, the sar- the sergeant, um, this is kind of like one of those like those like those like kind of tugs at your heart kind of moments. Um, right. And uh, the sergeant makes mention um, that he is on permanent desk duty um, because of an accidental uh, firing of his gun at a 13 year old uh, playing laser tag. That's supposedly what happened. And um, and a lot of the people um, who joined us in our watch party um, were saying that that was probably pulled straight from the headlines at the time. Um, yep. And um, and it's kind of one of those things. It's like like they pulled they pulled it straight from the headlines. And it, it was almost like, oof, yeah, that was a thing back then. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and if I can do some political commentary now. Sure. Now kids don't even need fake guns to get shot by the cops. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Just. Just putting that out there. Yeah, so. we're just gonna just gonna put that one out there. <laughs> yeah, but that that was definitely a thing in the eighties. I remember uh, that's when the that's when the fake guns with the big orange cap at the end came out because oh, if it has an orange cap, then you know it's fake. And then of course all the gangs just started painting the end of their Uzis with bright orange paint <laughs> that ruined that. And then you couldn't have any fake guns that looked like real guns in any way, shape, or form. But there's ten billion guns out there, so we end up with just Nerf guns that are bright, multicolored plastic and clearly are not a, a weapon of lethality. And it was kind of a shame because about this time is when I was doing a lot of uh, war games and things like that with my friends, you know, the imaginary. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was a lot of fun. And all that came to an end because every time a gun broke, you couldn't replace it anymore. You couldn't buy them in California at the time. Now I'm, I'm sure you can now it's, We've yeah. moved beyond that. We don't we don't mistake guns anymore. Like I said, we we don't need guns in kids' hands to get shot by police now. So yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of the uh, the times here, um, I I will say that I did like that scene um, at the end, though. Although I I do have a slight nitpick because at the very end, it's like everything is like you know, it's like he defeated the terrorists. He's doing he 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 came out alive. Everything's great. And then just they they out of nowhere, like one of the terrorists, despite that big explosion at the end, just somehow manages to make it down to the lobby um, right. and isn't caught at the very end. And um, and of course, there's a scene where, you know, the officer kind of gets redemption for, um, you know, that for incident. Kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- this. So in the 2000s with the Marvel movies, you had this resurgence of the. Uh, 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 what was the what was, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You had the resurgence mm, of that okay. kind of post credit or or between the credits, little film, the little snippet that they would throw in there just to keep you to watch the credits. Mm-hmm. And in the eighties, I don't. It seems like a lot. I, I don't. I mean, I don't have a statistic in front of me, but it seems like more than half the movies had some big surprise waiting for you at the end to keep you in the theater until the end of the movie. So mm-hmm. they could get the, those last five minutes out of you. Uh, and this was that it was just, it's stereotypical of the eighties. It, it was happened. I think in 
I, in my memory, more than half the movies had some big twist right at the very end where the, the bad guy comes up or the woman is pregnant or, you know, uh-huh. there's, there's some kind of twist right at the end. And that's what this was. And it, it, I guess if you, if you weren't used to those movies at the time, you maybe not didn't expect it and it kind of came as a surprise. But at the time, yeah. it, it kind of would surprise you if the movie didn't have something like this at the end. Okay. No, that's that's so. that's good insight. Yeah. Um and um and that's something um I'll, that's something that I'll learn is kind of those patterns as I as we go into more movies um on the podcast. Right. That'll just be something right. that, you know, comes out. Um um and uh, you know, like I mentioned before, lots of smoking happening. We kind of alluded to it earlier. Um sign of the times, of course. And then I every, just every yeah. time there's a lull in the action, John McClane is smoking a cigarette. Yeah, almost you know? without fail. Yeah, so, even to the point where it becomes a uh, a MacGuffin at the end, where he offers Hans Gruber a cigarette of one of his last two cigarettes, and it kind of sets up this conversation. Like it's used as more than just a, a set dressing; it's used as a as a set piece. It's yeah. something that it's it's a prop it's it's it furthers the story it's a, it's a real mild but still yeah true mcguffin that carries the story forward like they wouldn't have had to stop to smoke the cigarette and have the conversation if you know if they didn't have the cigarettes and it was just it's so 80s so, i mean i do wonder so i do wonder how many so there's got to be a counter of how many times um uh bruce willis uh took a took a blow on the uh on the old cigarette there <laughs> Like I have to imagine, I have to imagine he smoked enough cigarettes throughout the movie. Like it's got to be close to a pack, right? Like yeah, pretty close. Like yeah, yeah. It's, he's he's constantly smoking. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, true. <laughs> but and, uh, and you wonder why, why kids like me grew up to smoke because we saw it everywhere. We saw it at home. We saw it in the yeah. movies. We saw it on TV. You know, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, no, and beyond that. yeah. Yeah, because I mean, because I, I know that, um, you know, I am from the younger generation <laughs> and uh, it's very much uh, it's very much taught in school these days. Like they get Willie, they get ahead of it. Willie is 18. <laughs> Might he as well says be. he's older than that, but he's 18. He's just old enough to not buy cigarettes for himself. That's that's how old he is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's 21 now. Uh, they just increased the age to 21 now for well, cigarettes. Then you, might, then, then you might have to wait a few years. You're still 18. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, can we talk about because uh, the stunts in the movie? I gotta say, the stunts in particular were pretty great, I gotta say. Mm. But special effects, oh my good God. Like, you can just, like, when you see, like, the gunfire coming out of the guns, it just looks yep. so fake. It's so yep. fake. And, yep. you know... And, and, and when uh, Mr. Uh, Takami, or uh, dang it, the, the, the boss, when he gets shot right. in the head... It's a small spatter of blood on the wind window that didn't break, even though that's where the blood went. So the bullet would presumably go there too. <laughs> right. And then later on, uh, John McClane goes through that same door, and the blood spatter is huge. It covers both glass panes of the door. Like there's just a few inconsistency problems there. Yeah, but, a little bit. You know, and the explosions looked a little. They. They it looked look a little over the top. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they looked a little, I don't know. It was just, they looked a little off. 
Uh, but you're right. Like the fight scenes looked really good. You could tell they were they were choreographed with stunt doubles because you never saw yeah. anyone's face when they were fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of little things like that. Uh, but overall, I think it I think it held up pretty good for the time. It's sure it, it did. Sure. I don't know if it was cutting edge, but you know things like yeah. the green screen when Hans Gruber falls out the window. The green screen was really obvious. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't draw your attention from the story. Yeah. You know? And yeah, then look no. at Hans Gruber's face when he falls, because I don't know if you know this or not, but he <laughs> actually fell. Like they told him that they were just going to fake drop him. And then the stunt double would come in and actually do the fall. And instead they really dropped him. And I was oh, like, really? Or whatever. But it was like a genuine surprise on his face. Yeah. So, they probably yeah. did that and, on purpose just so they could uh, get that type of reaction from him. I, I started to wonder if this is a theme because one of the FBI guys also played a Fratelli brother in Goonies. And mm-hmm. in that movie, Steven Spielberg decided to not show the kids the pirate ship until they were actually in the scene so that they would turn around and see it for the first time and it'd be the their reaction on camera. And they had to pretend really good because all of them had snuck backstage to go see the set beforehand. And I'm probably ruining Goonies for somebody, but I mean, it's (laughs) a show about kids trying to find pirate treasure. So Mm. if they don't see a ship sometime, that's what what kind of movie is that? (laughs) Right. uh, So I I wonder how often they were doing, you know, directors were doing things like this where they'd surprise the actor to get a real reaction. And is that, is that a mark against their, their acting ability? Because we are talking about Hans Gruber. We're talking about Alan Rickman. We're talking about Severus Snape here, you know, like, he he can act, you know. He's in yeah. Die Hard Three for crying out loud! Like he's, yeah. I wonder it's, if it's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, well, and I wonder if like there there have to there have to be like you know these days you have like a bunch of like production like rules that you got to follow. There's like compliances that you got to follow. I wonder yeah. if like. I I I, sh- I assume they probably still do some of this stuff even today, but like <laughs> you you're thinking maybe they tried to pull one of these one time and it went a little too far. And now they've got rules in the uh, in the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe not in this movie specifically, but but like I mean, it, it all it takes is just one time. It just takes one right. time to mess it up, and then it ruins it for everyone else. You know? Yeah. I mean, have you seen The Crow? Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I haven't either, but in that movie, uh, a fa- very famous actor, uh, the child of a very famous actor, uh, dies because of special effects gone wrong Ooh. In, in the movie, uh, like on set, and then they had to repl- had to let someone else finish that person's part so you never see the person's face again. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sure there were mishaps and rules about stuff like this now, but that's... Yeah. Uh, I would be interesting to see... Uh, other examples of when directors surprise the actor with mm-hmm. uh, with going through the actual motion instead of just setting it up for the stunt double. Yeah, true. Um, I and we we kind of alluded to this uh, earlier. Um, I definitely want to talk about uh, the fact that because there's a lot of moments in this movie. Um, that really make you scratch your head. It kind of reminds me of um, when we're critiquing movies for the movie party, um, right. where we're very much um, just trying to do like our very best to make fun of this movie that that's going on right now. Um, 
MST3 Discord style. Yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but uh, but there were a lot of uh, those particular moments uh, that I that we kind of were just like, huh? <laughs> mm. um, the first one uh, being, and I, and I kind of just put these all in order of when I saw them in the movie. Um, uh, I will say that at first I thought the movie was going to be based in New York because of um, the New York accent coming from John on the plane. Um, but then, uh, but then, then you very quickly realize that like, oh, he's just traveling out here from New York to California. I mean, he says fucking California like three times in the first five minutes of him landing. And you might want to mark that in case you want to censor this podcast. Yeah. Um, he, uh, yeah. And if you're from the area, you recognize LA pretty quickly in this, in the skyline and in the background and things like that. And if you've ever been through LAX, you don't forget what it looks like. Even yeah. in the eighties, it's just so horrendous. Yeah, honestly, I blame I blame that on the fact that there are so many people talking in our watch party. <laughs> That's probably why I missed that detail. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, you you quickly realize that yeah, this is in California, and um, and they make a lot of references. It's like, oh, this is how long it'll it, it it's going to take you so long to get around here, and. Um, yeah. Anyone who lives in California, especially LA, knows exactly what I'm talking about with yeah. that. And and the the Nakatomi building is a building in LA, like it's an actual skyscraper mm. in LA. And I don't remember what it's actually called, the actual name of it. Most people from LA will. I, mm-hmm. I'm not from LA. I'm just from Southern California. So yeah, I'll take my own pass on that one. But that sure. that building is still standing. And you, if you drive down down in LA with anybody that's from LA, they will point it out to you nine times out of ten. Oh, good, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I have not been to California, so I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely have to make um, the rounds uh, when I, when I get out there. Cherish the moments of your life outside California. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, there. Right. The, the next thing, the, the next thing you have on here is the, the you say taxi driver. He used to be a taxi driver. Now he's a limo driver. The driver uh, yeah. Argyle, who is the tertiary sidekick in all this. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's just like, oh man. Like the first half of the movie, you're just like pulling your hair out. Um, because you're just like, how? Like, f- first of all, I mean, this isn't nearly as bad, but like when he's driving John around, um, uh, driving him to the Christmas party. You can tell that he's really trying to make small talk and trying to be yeah. a good, um, you know, limo driver. Um, honestly, a little cringe, I, in my opinion. Oh, it's very cringe. And here's what you have. All right. Here's what you have. You have Bruce Willis's character, John McClane. He is the macho family guy, the straight shooter, the honest Abe, the 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 man every man wants to be. He's muscular and he and he smokes and he handles guns and he kicks ass right and he loves his family and he's he's probably probably a little too boisterous for his own good but he really does love his family then you have al powell which i don't know why you'd have a guy named al powell that is constantly referred to as pal (laughs) there's some weird alliteration there that they should not have gone through he's not macho at all. He's yeah. more almost more of a broken man, very dedicated to his family. He mentions his wife several times, his, his upcoming kids several times. 
Mm-hmm. He's not macho. He's just the family guy. He's the comfortable one. And then you have Ellis. Ellis is snorting coke and he's talking lots of game. He's always got a big cheesy smile and he thinks he's all that and a bag of chips, free coke and a tour next Tuesday. He's everything that he he thinks he's everything every woman wants. And he's nothing of anything any woman wants. (laughs) And then you have the youngster. Good old Argyle. Uh-huh. He wants to be the macho man. He's got a, a streak of cool about him. He knows what's hip with the kids. Right. And he's he's trying to make his way. And he's moving up in the world. He's not quite there, but he desperately wants to be there. Yeah. And in this conversation on the way to the, the Nakatomi building, he is throwing out every hint that he is on his way. He is ascending. He wants to be one of the top dogs. He knows yeah. he's talking to one of the top dogs. And he's trying to show his stuff, yeah. and establish some rapport, and maybe get a little, uh, a, a, a little heightened with the uh, the ability to 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 talk to people that are that are clearly where he wants to be. Yeah, and, he and that's he's like I, um, yeah, this is my demo. <laughs> um, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of demo, I did enjoy. Uh, I did enjoy. Uh, you mentioned it's like you know uh, he knows what the kids are into these days. That old school rap, like, wow, that is very much a classic 80s, 90s rap right there. Yeah. And and it's 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 just he pops in his his cassette tape, you know, he mentions the limo mm-hmm. has a VHS. Like, yeah, yes. I remember yeah. those days. I remember them. <laughs> you can call his car phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's something something about it. The music in this movie, it it kind of touches a lot of genres and uh-huh. everything in this movie for them. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's, I'm sure I'm wrong about this, but everything uh-huh. I noticed in this movie is Christmas themed. Yeah. You know, it's got a Christmas rap and it's got some classic, uh, classical music at the end. That's all Christmas. There people uh-huh. are humming Christmas tunes regularly throughout. Like this is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, need, I don't know who he needs to hear that. I guess Bruce Willis needs to hear that one more time because he doesn't think it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, really? He doesn't yeah. think it's wow. No, he's okay. like, no, it's not a Christmas movie. Probably because he's too macho to admit that he was in a Christmas movie. But <laughs> I, it's it. The story is based on on. It says December twenty third at one part, and then the then uh, uh, Miss McLean says no, it's, it's Christmas Eve. So, but yeah. it's it's right there. It's right right about that. Time. You know so, where I think. You know where I think the uh, the argument comes in because you know this came out in June, July, that time period, right? It came out in mm-hmm. the summertime, and mm-hmm. and I think that's where the um I think that's where like the debate comes from, in my opinion, really, because because like you said, it come it came out in VOD in December, but right. you know, but it's a Christmas movie. They're talking about Christmas stuff, and it's June, July time period, and so. Now, I, yeah, I have to correct you. You said it came out on VOD in the Christmas time. It wasn't VOD. Yeah, you true. watched what HBO wanted you to watch when they wanted you to watch it. And the only heads up they gave you was a little pamphlet that you'd get in the mail about four days too late for the shit you really wanted to see. Yeah, true. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's fair. Another that's sign fair. of the times. That's fair. That's uh, fair. And if you're lucky, you got enough notice and you pressed record on your VCR and recorded it and had it on VHS like my stepdad and I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
But uh, yeah, and, go and now I have now I have the DVD ripped on my Plex. The times have changed. Yeah, right. Uh, going back to Argyle uh, for just a second here. Um, I he's featured later on in the movie. Um, you know, they they cut to him uh, a few different times where he's just like jamming out in his car. He's having he's having a great time, just waiting for John to come back from the uh, from the Christmas party. And then yeah. when all hell is breaking loose. <laughs> Somehow he's he's probably like what like a few feet from where the action's happening. Like there's gunfire going off. There's police cars going around him. Yeah. How the hell does he not hear that? Like I, I I think you underestimate the level of sophistication in the base that a limousine would have in the late eighties. Okay. You don't hear anything anywhere else. All you hear <laughs> is that high fidelity cassette tape bass mm. rattling through everything. And he was clearly enjoying himself. At one point, he pops a bottle and is pouring pouring himself a drink. He's he, half the movie. He looks like he's going to make out with the teddy bear. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> he he's all he's caring about is that telephone ringing, saying that he needs to go pick up John and his wife pick up John by himself or just get daddle on his own. If it's not having to do with that, then it doesn't matter. And if you've had a teenage boy, which I can tell you, cause I do, mm-hmm. they are singularly focused. Yeah. They don't, they, they are, they will be completely oblivious to everything going on around them, except for the one thing they care about. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So, but, um, I'll give him a pass on that. Basically, is what I'm saying. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But he did. He at least did figure out um, about a middle, middle, about midway into the movie. Like he was tuning into the uh, radio, and then he realizes, "Oh shit! Now it's going down." <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> the other thing. Uh, so the the terrorists when they first enter the building. Um, First of all, someone uh, made a comment uh, when he's shooting off that uh, that um, silencer on his pistol. It's like someone made a comment. It's like that's not how silencers work. <laughs> no, yeah, no. But I mean, that's that's the movie trope, though. True. It gives you the the high pitched but low volume sound. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's just. I mean, they still do that in movies now because sure, well, yeah, it's effective for getting. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be called a silencer, right? True. I did um, see. Uh, I did see Shaft in the theaters. I can't confirm this. You <laughs> <laughs> um, can put a silence on a rocket launcher, and it, so- it sounds perfectly quiet, right? Like a, <laughs> it's like a hummingbird humming. Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's how that works, right? <laughs> yep. But um, but they're, they they uh, they shut down the elevator, or, or actually they go up the one elevator. I assume they locked all of the elevators except for the one that goes up to the, where the Christmas party is on the 30th floor. And yeah. yeah. And you actually see that when they, when they hit the screens, it's just a blip. Uh, but I, I saw it this time. I, I don't know that I ever saw it before, but I saw it this time. They cl- There's like five elevators and they close four of them down. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. That makes sense yeah. then. Yeah. Cause they locked all the elevators and yet they were, going up an elevator so i'm like wait what they must have kept that one open i guess but uh but they come up on the elevator right and you got to imagine like you're in like a crowd of people right like you've got you've got like a crowd like this big they're all gathered around nobody's worrying about social distancing in this time you know 
and um and you just see um the elevator open just randomly right like yeah how does how does nobody like if this were an actual realistic situation i mean i i guess you could say like okay yeah maybe they were a little tipsy maybe that's why they didn't notice but like when six seven people um come up into an elevator and they're just like like completely loaded with guns it's like how do you not notice that <laughs> like how does yeah. that even happen I can I can see like I could give it a pass if there's certain situations. If you've ever been to a large holiday party, there's a lot of times when everybody's attention is focused on one thing, and maybe they just happen to walk in at that time. But really, it just comes down to bad storytelling. But I mean, yeah, it's the '80s. It, it wasn't important <laughs> the story that they just walk in and suddenly somebody suddenly see them. It's, the, True, the shots yeah. going off kind of it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. So yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah no, and, and nobody even noticed until someone shot off a um shot off a load and it was like seriously? Yeah. <laughs> On top of that, uh <laughs> one th- uh there was a, this was another thing that we uh that we were commenting on in the uh watch party. Um they're looking for uh they're looking for the man in charge. Um uh I'm I'm going to probably butcher this pronouncing Takash Takashi did I get that right? Hopefully I got that right. I don't know. Takagi. <laughs> Takagi. Thank you. Takagi, um, Mr. Takagi. Yeah, no. And, 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 uh, and, you know, the, the terrorists, um, you know, uh, the terrorists have done their research, um, specifically, um, Hans Gruber has done his research. He knows exactly, you know, his life story, you know, where he grew up, where he went to school, you know, where he previously worked. Like he knows all of this information, right? Um, you know, they list every detail about this guy. But and I think it was uh Big Voice Jay that um that said this. It's like they knew all of that information and yet still have no idea what he looks like and is trying to <laughs> pin him out of the crowd. <laughs> I so I, I saw this and I I thought it was odd to start with, and then I stepped away from your show notes and I came back in and I realized that how do you know what people look like now? True. You Facebook them. You check out their Twitter profile. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're really lucky, you find them on Grinder. <laughs> you, they can do all this paper research. A lot of this stuff is going to be public information because he's the CEO of a company. They can find out his address, all that kind of stuff. He's probably got a, a bio somewhere in the company newsletter, something like that, where you know his schooling and all that kind of stuff comes from. But then he's a very wealthy, very important Japanese national that probably doesn't drive. He probably has a driver. So he doesn't have a driver's license they could look up. You know, like there there are reasons around this. It just seems absurd because this movie is 32 years old. True. You know, I think that's really, it's another sign of the times. Like today you couldn't pull that off. Like there's no way... Uh, facial recognition something would catch somebody and you'd be able to see a picture mm-hmm. it's either that or it's a reference to and i don't know because this wasn't how i was raised and and everything else but it's a reference to that they all look alike thing that yeah. white people tend to put on pretty much everybody else <laughs> and yeah. it especially was bad in the 80s mm-hmm. maybe it's something like that but either way it still still befuddles you nowadays. It's just it's almost incomprehensible how that could possibly 
go on. Yeah, 32 true. Years ago. Yeah, no, yeah, because especially like you said, you know, like yeah, this is a very important, prominent figure, and like, and you don't know what he looks like. I mean, maybe he was doing it for for effect, maybe, but like, I mean, I, I don't know, like. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly these days you would be able to pick him out right then and there and be like, you come here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a definite pothole, but it does. It, it also develops the story of of uh, Takagi being a stand up, literally a stand up guy and not hiding behind his people and kind of kind of gives him a little bit more of a personality other than just getting a limo for John. It doesn't last very long because he dies like three minutes later. But mm-hmm. at least for that time, you kind of get that impression of him. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a wash. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of worth noting, though, and it's something I will yeah. pay attention to next time I watch the movie for sure. Yeah, true, true. But uh, can we just talk about that asshole who just tried to make a deal with the terrorist? I don't even remember the guy's name. Like, Ellis. Yeah, Ellis, like this, this guy, right? Like he thinks that talking to a bunch of terrorists and doing a business deal with them, he really thinks that that is going to make a difference when you're dealing with people with machine guns. Yeah, well, <laughs> again, he's he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Like he thinks he's got everything. Plus, he he snorts coke right before it goes in there so he's or you know he's he's yeah thinking he's he's ahead of the game yeah and he's he's like the one person that dies in this movie that nobody's sad about right yeah because that's exactly what i was thinking yeah that's exactly what i was thinking i was like i'm kind of happy this guy got killed because literally he pretty much almost ruined this entire operation like straight up right He's, he's a sacrificial douche. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, you know, like he, yeah, he reveals that, you know, John is his name. He's like trying to keep it anonymous on purpose. And then, yeah. and then like, and then here's the thing. It's like, he thinks he's so good. Cause he gave that information. No, it still bites him in the ass. Cause he still gets shot up. Like you idiot. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's funny that he was, playing like he was under threat and then Hans was like yeah let's roll with that and then he gets shot on a situation that he created mm-hmm. in a narrative that he proposed that when it came to fruition he was no longer part of the story and there's a yeah. certain irony in that that I really enjoy <laughs> exactly yeah no but like <laughs> honestly yeah I'm not disappointed at all in that character's death sorry <laughs> no. there's there's a name for that type of character and I can never remember what it is it's like it's not anti-hero or it, it, it's some literary term and yeah literally if that if that character is too pronounced in a movie I will stop watching the movie because I loathe that type of person mm-hmm. very very deeply yep. and it will ruin a, a movie for me if one if I can see it happening well ahead of time uh-huh. and two if it takes too long to resolve yeah. I will just drop a movie so sure. for him to get his so quickly now it's not in the beginning of the movie but it does happen very quickly 
Right. It's very satisfying to me. And yeah, uh, it's it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, no, because I have to imagine like everybody's all and everybody that's watching this movie, like when you get to that scene in the movie, like like it's just it's just like uh, it's just like among us, like imposter, vote him off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Ellis, he got to go. Yep. Yeah, he he's ejected. <laughs> but uh Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. This, this... Speaking of absolute wastes of flesh in this movie, mm-hmm. very important role, but man, do I hate him. That damn news anchor. Yes. Thank you. Oh. The news anchor specifically is like, cause, cause it's not even like, like, I I did appreciate that it was just like uh, that it that it was kind of the man just being like a complete like ass of himself. Like I did appreciate that a little bit, you know. Yeah. Because they're uh, they're covering the story. It's a typical, you know, um news um, you know, it's typical news from the 80s. You got a, a woman and a man both in the anchor chair, you know, covering the story, right? And they bring in a hostage expert uh to discuss, you know, what's going on. It's like, well, you know, this thing is going to happen and that's going to happen there. So we can expect it to end kind of like this. And uh, yeah. when they introduce the hostage expert, the news anchor, um, I, I, I guess he he got like a country wrong. Was it where he because um, it, it was. Helsinki syndrome or something like that and he said yeah. it was Sweden but it was actually Norway or what was whatever the details were it's it yeah. just showed that that guy was not up to par and that the woman had control of the situation which uh-huh. isn't often something that happens in movies in the 80s outside of 9 to 5 True. and especially now I can show I I can appreciate it a lot more than I could then because I wasn't aware of just, I mean, I was 11. I, I wasn't aware of the situation, but uh-huh. now to have the male, the male uh, co-host be the jackass and the woman hold it together. Yeah. It's, it's satisfying. It's yeah. very satisfying. Yeah. It, it, basically all the dudes working for the news were pieces of crap. The guy that goes out yeah. on scene, he's a piece of crap digging up dirt about John McClane and, <laughs> and basically threatening the nanny with deportation mm-hmm. you know and it was just like the news is not is not shown in a very good light overall mm-hmm. and i can't say that they're at least for the time necessarily wrong because i kind of remember i mean that's when you had the the you follow an ambulance you know you'd see an ambulance go by and right behind it would be a, a nice car with a lawyer in it and right behind that would be a, a news van you know, and it was like they were just constantly chasing the trashiest stories. And yeah. now it's at least in my news, now it's all politics because that's where all the trash is. But well, time, yeah, that's what it was. It was everybody digging into dirt and, and you know, the inquirer was. The, the, yeah, it, not not to <sighs> mention, by the way, this is this just popped in my mind just now, too. But uh, but the fact that the news van gives no shits about just like getting to the story and the fact that um. <laughs> I loved at the very end because uh, throughout the movie they're like, "Oh, did you get that explosion on camera? Did you like?" They're like, "Yeah." Th- well, first it was just like the explosion happens. They're like, "Whoa, what the? What's going on?" Yeah. Hey, did you get that on camera? 
yeah. And then, then at the end, uh, he comes out and starts asking Holly after she saw him interviewing her kids uh-huh. and starts trying to talk to her and she just hauls off and punches him right in the nose. And he looks in the camera. Did you get that? Like, <laughs> exactly. Like was, exactly. Uh, I was Again, this. You you can't see it very often in eighties movies, but when you see a woman just taking control, it's just. A, I mean, that, this, maybe this is why I'm a feminist now. I, mm-hmm. I just, it's it just, it's just great. I just love it. Yeah, no, that, that I love that scene at the end. Very funny to uh, wrap up the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Um. And the last thing you mentioned on here in this section, I'm looking. I'm looking ahead of the notes, and I. Hmm. There is a trend in the 80s, in the 90s, mm-hmm. in the yachts, and it kind of eased up some with uh, with uh, Mr. Robot mm-hmm. or Mr. Roboto. Oh, shoot. It's no, it's, yeah, that. Mr. Robot. Yeah, you had it yeah, right. Mr. Robot. Yeah. Um, it, it eased up on that because they kept it very authentic in that show. Mm-hmm. But as far back as you go, every hacker scene was mm-hmm. completely fictionalized. Everything yeah. from War Games, which is the first one I saw, mm-hmm. it's an amazing movie. And for the time, it seemed so legit. But now uh-huh. you look back on it, knowing the history of everything, everything up until Mr. Robot was complete crap and fictionalization for everything in the hacker space. Good, yes. bad, good, you know, white hat, black hat, gray hat, didn't matter. They were uh-huh. all junk until mr robot yeah absolutely and, and this no. movie is no exception no oh yeah no and and that was exactly what i was going to point to is like like seeing mr robot these days and looking at this scene now like it's it's absolutely laughable these days like what they did back then like it's yeah. like that scene is just like <laughs> and i love how they put like the uh in one of the scenes they put like the the typical like computer sounds that they definitely ripped off of like a free um free to use um <laughs> music library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it, they showed you what you needed to see in order to make you think that they were doing something but the average level of computer intelligence at the time was so abysmal. Right. You know, that they could pretty much get away with any of this and uh another one was like cloak and dagger so few people had video games when cloak and dagger came out that nobody understood how utterly ridiculous it was to have the plans for the uh, uh to have secret documents or whatever hidden somewhere in a game like it was just you that didn't happen there it, it, but people didn't know that they didn't know that that was a two mega or two kilobit chip that couldn't hold more than you know the the declaration of independence or whatever you know is they just it, it, you you're sacrificing some of your audience's intelligence if you present that today but at the time you were giving them more than they expected and it provided more than they understood yeah and mm-hmm. yeah is is so trash yeah no like i and that's and that's where i i definitely wanted to end on that one because that was that was easily like the worst thing of all in my mind was just like because because everything else in the movie is just like yeah it was the 80s sure whatever right but this but this one like especially um knowing what we know now like especially with with shows like mr robot 
where it's actually um where it's actually somewhat realistic and they have right. like you have like security experts looking over and be like oh yep nope that's legit code like yeah. to see to see this garbage it's just like come on you know it's so there there are there are three things in this movie that i found utterly ridiculous uh-huh. three things and one of them is a combination of two but they happen right after each other and they have the same effect uh, i'm going to say the first one is when john jumps off the roof and swings in on the uh the fire hose and busted the window. Oh yeah, uh huh. And then right after that, he jumps from one ventilation shaft into another ventilation shaft. That there, you know, slides down and grabs on with his fingers as he's already slid like fifteen feet. Yeah, like those. I combine those two into into one because it's the same scene. Sure, but that's absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah, no, there's no way they. Yeah, no, there's. He, he's very much not making that, and he's very much dead. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the second one is the hacking scene. Just hacking the vault and all that. That all of that is just garbage. It uh-huh. it seems out of place then. It really desperately seems out of place now. Yep. And there's just no way any of that would happen. And the third is John on the roof. Uh-huh. Calling nine one one on the emergency channel, channel nine on the CB radio. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. And being completely blown off, you know. And, yeah. And at one point, at one point, she's like, "Sir, this is for emergency." Uh, I'll repeat, this is for emergency channels or emergency communications only. Or, or only. And he says, "What do you think I'm doing? Ordering a fucking pizza?" Like, yeah. It's yeah, just, it's like no shit, asshole. Like it, it, seriously, it's, like, it's yeah. It's like the movie is calling attention to the fact that this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankfully, they sent they send a black and white. They send yeah. a cruiser. You know, it's and it's almost like yeah, just send one just so we can say we did. You know, right? Those those are the three things that really just because a lot of the gun work and a lot of fight scenes and the guy choking. You could call that unrealistic, but really, that's just those are all things that just had to happen to for the movie to go forward. But those three things are are the ones that just completely they take me out of the movie when I'm watching the movie, and that's mm-hmm. those are the things that I find unfortunate. Yeah, true. Well, we've been uh, ranting about this movie, but let's let's end uh, let's end the episode here. Let's talk about uh, some of the favorite lines, some of the best moments from the movie, because there are um, quite a few that you could mention, and we don't have time to mention all of them. But yeah, um, but let's uh, let's start out with um, you know, uh, obviously, like you know, John is very good at hiding. Um, you know, he's he's in and out so quick. Um, I loved all the creative ways that he was able to escape death. He probably escaped death probably like twenty times over throughout mm-hmm. that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, holy hell! Like, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I especially mean, he's, he's, he's not quite he's not quite Rambo level hiding. Sure, but he's doing what he can with what he's got. Right, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I especially oh, wait. Love- wait, have you have you have you not seen Rambo either? Nope. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know, I know, and the audience is uh, the audience. This- when I keep saying that, it's just is just going to be like they're collectively just going, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> uh, it's 
Yeah. Yeah. I know you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Email at <laughs> cinemavention.com. Let him know what other movies he's missed. Okay. Yes. Next thing that you love about this one. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I especially, I did like the part. Um, he, uh, the terrorist tells him, yeah, don't, t- don't take so long. Word of advice. Don't take so long to shoot. To which he immediately shoots the terrorist in the face and proceeds to no, say, thanks for the, the advice. He shoots him right up the crotch. Oh, really? I did... In the face. He shoots oh, did... him. He hits him like in the pelvis three times in the belly once and in the chest once. Like, oh, he I completely missed that. Into his crotch. Like, oh, my yes! God. Oh, I completely <laughs> missed that. Oh, my God. Was that like the first terrorist or the second one that he ran up on? I can't remember. I think it was the that... first one. That was the first, I believe. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah. But, yeah. No, it's like immediate karma. It's like he, yeah, the terrorist thinks he's got him right where he wants him. And then, nope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah. good. So good. Yeah. Um, now I have a machine gun too. <laughs> so yes. good. Yes. Using so good. the blood from the first, from that very killing to just yep. spell it out on the bear i don't even know where he found the bear like where the hell did the bear come from oh it shows a quick scene you probably missed it because you were you were too busy laughing about something else but oh, okay um a- a- after he kills him he's getting ready to push him into the elevator on the chair and he looks mm-hmm. behind him and there's a christmas display with like santa claus and all kinds of toys oh. and yeah so that's how he dresses him up is using items from that display and that's when he writes, now I have a machine gun, is, is how he says it, machine gun, <laughs> two. All right, now, now I have a machine gun. Ha, ha, ha. And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Ah, oh, such a oh, great yeah. line. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, no, that, that was a nice touch. I love that. Like, Hans Gruber, his reaction to that. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, of course, we we could not go this um, through this podcast without mentioning the classic line, which I got to tell you, I did not know it came from this movie. I've I've recognized this line for many years. I never knew it came from this movie. <laughs> the uh, the line where he goes, "Yippee Kaye, motherfucker!" I had no idea that line came from this movie, did, and it's did, so good. Did you good. get chills? Yeah, did you get chills when you heard it though? Because oh. it's not just the line. It's not just the line is so easy and so uh, transferable to other situations. It's the way he says it at the time. Because it's not like, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He's on the radio and he's like, oh, fuck it. You're like, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a, it's a throwaway, intentional mm-hmm. throwaway in the conversation. And that is the line that has lived all these years from this movie. Yeah, and they keep referencing because because the whole reason he even says that is because uh, you know Hans is uh, keeps telling John it's like quit being a hero you know quit being yeah. like the what the is cowboy. it what did he say like the John, John Wayne? Wayne yeah 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 I, like, I, I always preferred Roy Rogers myself and, oh, okay yeah well, Yippie yeah. is a Roy Rogers thing yeah he added he he you know he he, he embellished. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. Uh speaking of Hans Gruber, um I I loved the scene um and we were <laughs> we were ma- making note of this in the watch party where it's like turns out Han 
Hans is not totally inconsiderate about the situation. Because uh, when John's love interest, Holly, uh, kind of takes over things after um, after the main uh, guy uh, dies in the movie, um, she's trying to negotiate with the terrorists. Um, and she mentions that there's a pregnant lady uh, and it's like, can we get a can we get a rock for her to uh, to sit on or whatever? And well, she's sitting on a rock and he, she says, can we get, I, I want to take her to one of the couches in one of the offices. He's like, well, we'll bring the couch out to you. Is that good? She's like, yeah. And then she's like, well, and, and also, unless you want to mess, uh, you might want to start taking some of us to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this isn't a matter of being, of Hans Grimm being considerate. It's a matter of him being focused. The people are not what he's there for. Right. He doesn't care about the people. If they need to use restroom, it doesn't matter to him. He's not there to make them uncomfortable or to get mm-hmm. any more information out of them. He's there to pacify them until he can sacrifice them on the roof to hide his own escape. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he could have been a dick about it. It wasn't. And yeah, it's, I think it's a matter of focus, not necessarily consideration. But Okay. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um. And uh, and and last thing that I'll mention, and then we can get into uh, some of your favorite moments uh, from the movie. Um, this is another one of those sweet justice uh, moments where it's like the police chief was just so stupid. And like the sergeant is is literally like, yeah, and, uh, the sergeant's dead on on what's going on. And the chief's like, what are you? You're just a sergeant. You're under my command, sir. Right. <laughs> Right. You know, and he's just being so stupid. He clearly doesn't know what he's doing. And then the FBI shows up and they're like, and the chief tells them, yep, I'm the one in charge. The FBI agent is, look, just looks at him for a second. He's just like, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> yep. and, and this is one of those things. This is a dichotomy of the person looking out for himself just doesn't want to get in trouble. And the person that doesn't have anything to lose and is trying to help, mm-hmm. you know, and then the FBI comes in and well, the only thing they ever appeared in, in the eighties or nineties that wasn't uh, very critical of the FBI was the X-Files, you know? Yeah. And even, even that had some pretty harsh criticisms for the, for the FBI and how they handle things. But yeah. Uh, yeah. The FBI is always the bad guy in the movies. Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you look at uh, any of the Mel Gibson movies, you know, their FBI comes in and it's like, ah, now the shit show has happened, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a fun little moment watching the, the captain not or the, the, the vice commander, what, whatever the hell he was, mm-hmm. not be able to handle the situation where Al doesn't want to handle the situation, but he knows what's going on because he actually gives a shit. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yep. Are there were there any other things that I didn't put in here that you want to mention? Just you know, favorite moments from the movie. I I really enjoy the the scene at the very beginning where the two terrorists I don't call them terrorists. They're the two assailants come mm-hmm. into the movie, and uh, the the black dude is talking about basketball, mm-hmm. and you know it's just like this fluid motion. He goes, "Can I help you?" And the 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 big dude goes, "Dunk dunk," and shoots him. Yeah, uh-huh. and and he goes two points for Kareem, and it's just like this <laughs> one fluid motion. It's it's just a, it's a fun little scene. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I love when Hans tells him to start shooting the glass, and he has to revert to English. 
because apparently can't come up with the words in German, which yeah. I thought was kind of funny. And I don't know if that was a nod to the audience, like a little fourth wall moment there. Sure. Or if there's something more there. But either way, I, I thought that was that was a fun little moment. Um, and really just the interaction between Al and uh, John, like you have that hero sidekick relationship. Mm-hmm. They've never met. They have to form that hero sidekick relationship on screen with yeah. the audience watching. And it still works very well. It's not perfect. It's not great, but it's exactly what this movie needed. And I really enjoy them. Like at one point in the, in the middle, they have a conversation where they're really getting personal and they know it's all on the air. And John is kind of expelling his love for his wife. Like she's, he's just telling, you know, if I don't make it out of here, make sure my wife knows these things. And it's all these things that he should have said instead of, you know, harassing her about using her maiden name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's this relationship forms. And at the end, they don't have to have this huge hello and goodbye. They come up. Uh, uh, Al shoots the bad guy. And then they have this one quick hug. and then. John and Holly are walking away and mm-hmm. Al's not coming with them. Like their story is done. There doesn't need to be any more than that. And I just think that that yeah. little mini story going on is just, it's, it's something we don't get now. Everybody wants to have this super happy. Everybody's holding hands, kicking rocks down the, down the street, joyful ending. Mm-hmm. Their story started and finished on scene uh, on screen in this one movie. And that was yeah. it. They didn't need anything more. They're just moving on with their life. Yeah, and it was great. Absolutely, yeah. No, that was that was a that was a good way to that that was a great ending to the movie. One hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so Willie, I have to ask you, and I hope uh, further future guests will ask you the same. Okay. Um, in their own way, I'm sure. But I have sure. a two point scale for movies. Okay. It is a single thumb up or a single thumb down. What would you rate this movie? I give it a thumbs up. There we go. See, that's it's it's the 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 bit, right? Yeah, it's it's one up, one up, or zero down. Like, there's only there's only yeah, two ways. Yeah, the, the Ro- Roger and Ebert. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, but none of this double, none, 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 none of that. Just one up or <laughs> just down. one. Like, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you watch it again? I wouldn't watch it. Okay, that's fine. Um, I would. I'd give it a thumbs up. Uh, again, this is it's just. I don't like Santa Claus movies or mushy movies where uh-huh. suddenly the lady becomes a princess or the, the man is now the sh- knight in shining armor where he used to be a dweeb, uh, uh-huh. all because Santa Claus said so, or he rubbed, you know, Rudolph's tail the right way or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not, <laughs> I, that's not my type of Christmas movie. This happens during Christmas. It's got some Christmassy themes to it. And this is my type of Christmas movie. I love this movie i also mm-hmm. love the next two Die Hard movies so maybe yeah, something going on yeah, there we'll see i think i yeah. think that i think that's the important part is um you know the uh getting the first Die Hard movie done and then we can talk about the other two at a later point <laughs> there's only 40 more movies on your list <laughs> right yeah exactly i mean not counting the uh the mega list that's in the uh that's in the doc already right. If you want to, uh, if you want to give feedback, of course, with this being the first episode, um, I guess I should have put a call out uh, for emails. But, uh, but uh, if you want to uh, give your feedback on any portion of this episode that we discussed, 
Uh, the email address is email at cinemavention.com. Put that, um, put that in the email address and then put in the subject line uh, what movie um, you're uh, writing in about. Um, and we'll be sure to feature some of those on the show. Uh, Amos, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for being my very first guest here on the show. Uh, where, what do you, what's going on in your world that we can, that you want to talk to people about? Uh, so I'm not going to inundate everybody with 10 million things. Ritualmisery.com. If you go there, you'll see a, a banner, just ritualmisery.com. You'll see a banner at the top or click a link or whatever. And it'll take you to the streamathon page every year. Ritual Misery hosts the Diamond Club New Year's Eve Streamathon where we raise money for sick kids through extralife.org. And we make sure that no one has to spend New Year's Eve alone. And mm-hmm. the best way to find out anything about what I'm doing right now is to cruise on over to ritualmisery.com and click the link for the streamathon, spend some time with us on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. and donate if you can. If not, Join in the chat room and keep someone else company because, well, no one should be alone on New Year's Eve. And yeah. that is the best way that you can support anything that I'm doing. And if you want to find me on Twitter, specifically at Ethan Kane, link in the show notes. Awesome. And I will be a part of that streamathon as well. Uh, we're going to be doing Definitely. three hours of Among Us. So it's going to be a fun time. I hope you're there for that. December 31st, it starts at 4.30 a.m. Eastern time, goes all the way to 7.30 a.m. Eastern, January 1st. So it's a yep. lot of fun. And, and um, we are, uh, Rachel Misery is opening, closing, and we both, Kent and I both have certain things going on during the stream where we will make our presence known in other ways than just our own show. That's amazing. And especially, um, especially, I mean, that was always a great concept, but especially this year after a really bad year that we've had with the pandemic and everything going on, like yep. m- needed more than ever these days. So, yep. so always a great thing that you're doing over there. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show and being my very first guest. Uh, please come back uh, to the show. Love to have you again. Oh, I I have my name next to several uh, several movies on this list. Like we're we're doing mm-hmm. this again. Absolutely, yes. Um, and if you want to, I mentioned um, I mentioned uh, throughout the episode uh, the watch party, and you're thinking, how can I get in on this watch party? Uh, we're doing a watch party for each of the movies that I review on the show. And so, if you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners. Um, I stream it live over on my Twitch where, um, where you can also find me live every Wednesday and Friday night uh, doing all kinds of gaming content with friends over at twitch.tv slash is one. But if you can't make it to the party, don't worry. Like I mentioned, we have the watch party available afterwards exclusively to the people who support the show on Patreon. You get it in your very own RSS feed. That's at patreon.com slash is one Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for you making this possible because this show happens with your support. Um, if you have thoughts about the movie we discussed today, you can join the Cinemavention channel in our Discord. That's at gamenightdiscord.com. You can send me an email, email at cinemavention.com. And if you can, if you want to subscribe to the podcast and see all the previous episodes and show notes, whole lot more, head on over to cinemavention.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
it be it can be apple Podcasts, it can be spotify it can be stitcher we're on all of them so subscribe uh music has been provided of course by the lovely kevin mcleod over at incompetech.com you the patrons decide what movie i watch next vote on the poll and help me decide what we'll be discussing and until then we'll see you next time Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>